welcome to this week's edition of Honestly Speaking with Tara, where telling the truth in a time of universal deceit is a revolutionary act. Orwell. Man, this is the uh, the post-Thanksgiving kickoff the holiday season edition of uh, Honestly Speaking. I hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I know that I did. And... Um, we ate lots of good food. I baked a bunch of homemade stuff. I baked a homemade apple pie from scratch. I baked a sweet potato pie from scratch. And my mom and I cooked cooked up, cooked up a storm and my husband made his world famous macaroni and cheese. So it was a great time. So um, I hope everybody had a, had a good time. Thanks for those who tweeted at me their, their Thanksgiving traditions and some of their favorite meals. That was pretty cool. Um, I tweeted out some of some of my things some of the traditions that we do, like watching the Thanksgiving Day Parade um, and, you know, stuff like that. Uh, we we did participate in Black Friday stuff. I, I Every year I tell myself, I'm not doing that. It's a zoo. I'm not doing it. You have to understand, I'm from New Jersey. I'm from like the mall capital of the Northeast, the town of Paramus, New Jersey. Anyone who's from that area, they know Everybody flocks to Paramus to go to the malls because we have no tax on clothes. That's how it used to be. And then so all the New Yorkers would come in. People, would, I mean, it's a it was a zoo. And I wouldn't go anywhere near the malls in my hometown in Jersey. Even when I lived back home the last um, four and a half years before I moved back to the D.C. area, you couldn't pay me to go anywhere near Garden State Plaza. So I used to say, I'm not doing Black Friday. And then my mom and I, she's here visiting. She, we were like, well, maybe we'll try some stuff. So we did. And it wasn't anything crazy. Um, I've uh, put on social media in the past, I like to decompress doing like household decorating. So Michael's is like my favorite store in the whole world. They have awesome coupons, great deals, especially on on Black Friday. So my mom and I were completely out of control. (laughs) We spent so much money in Michael's because they had like a 40% everything off coupon. And so I bought more Christmas decorations for the house because we like, I like to transform the house into like a lovely winter wonderland. I do it every year. We throw a big Christmas party. It's kind of a tradition now in my, in my house, my husband and I. So that's what I did on, on black Friday. And then on, um, over the weekend, we kind of went back and I bought some more stuff. So so I'm sitting here in my office with bags and bags. You can like hear it. Bags of stuff from Michael's, from Christmas tree shops in preparation to get the house all put together for the Christmas holiday. But I like to do it. It's relaxing for me. Um, so that's uh, that's that. Um, I don't know how other people, if you guys did any Black Friday stuff, did you get any good deals? Well, we bought a TV too. Yeah, I, it, it was out of control. <laughs> But hey, that's what it's for. You know, we support small business on Small Business Saturday. I did that. I ordered some um, lipsticks from this minority female owned company and some other stuff. And, you know, we try to support. We try to support. So that's that. Let's see. Lots of stuff was going on. I, I tried to avoid politics as much as I could to enjoy the holidays with my family and friends. But it was nearly impossible. Because the president of the United States, even he couldn't take off from being ridiculous, even on Thanksgiving. I'm sure many of you saw some of the tweets and things that he was 
I guess, bored in Mar-a-Lago tweeting up a storm. Um, all kinds of ridiculous things about the caravan, about Mueller, about, well, this and that. As my aunt says, this, that, and the other thing. It was ridiculous. It was just like, like, dude, it, it's Thanksgiving. Can you give it a rest for a day? I mean, really? But no, because he's such a narcissist. He can't help himself. And then am I the only one? Did anybody else see the the, the calls that he did with the military, uh, military men and women overseas or wherever he was calling people because he's too much of a coward to travel to, you know, an active duty military area. He has yet to do that when other presidents have by this time in their presidency. So he phoned it in, like literally phoned it in from his Mar-a-Lago estate calling troops on Thanksgiving. Like that matters at this point. But anyway, and it was the weirdest interaction. He was talking to a naval officer and like Trump has this weird obsession and it goes back years. I don't know. He's such a weirdo. He has this weird bee in his bonnet about electromagnetic catapults on air aircraft carriers you know like when you why i'm not getting too technical but basically you know the catapults that that um help with the launch the the the, the aircraft off aircraft carriers of the planes and catch them when they land like he he was talking about something with steam and the naval officer was like well no sir we actually you know we prefer the electromagnetic technology trump was like well you have to be albert einstein to understand that and the naval officer was like, well, yeah, you have to be as smart as Albert Einstein to run the nuclear the nuclear reactors on our ships, too. And we do it quite well. Can you imagine? I mean, these our men and women in the military, especially our commanders, are probably like, what an idiot the president of the United States is. This is the guy who's our commander in chief. Good grief. But anyway, and then he kept tweeting all weekend long. Like, I don't know. I mean, in between the the golfing in Mar-a-Lago. He was all these self-congratulatory tweets. You know, he was thankful for his family and thankful for how great he's made the country now, thanks to him. Like, give it a rest. Then he thanked him. We're supposed to be thankful to him for oil prices decreasing. And and he, I think he even had a tweet about he caused traffic jams. Okay, as if the Thanksgiving holiday isn't the most traveled time of the year for people, uh, you know, in air and on the road. <laughs> but it was Trump, even Trump caused traffic jams. I mean, come on, this is so ridiculous. I'm telling you the hilarity just, if I mean, you gotta laugh to stop yourself from crying. Yep, that's the president of the United States, folks. He even referred to himself as President T in one of his tweets. Oh, thanks to President T. Shut up, dude. And by the way, oil prices are not that much, aren't like so significantly lower. Three years ago, my Facebook, you know how you have like the, on Facebook, the, um, on this day, it popped up where I took a photograph of gas prices in New Jersey three years ago. And it was like a dollar 89 for regular. So you know what, Trump enough, you know, you have stop it with the oil prices thing. <sighs> it just, you know, this guy can't even holiday. No holiday is safe. <laughs> Well, let's see what else is going on. Um, well, um, this Mississippi Senate race, has anybody been paying attention to this? I know I wasn't even paying any attention to the fact that Mississippi was actually having a special election because everything was swallowed up by the midterms. But Mississippi had an open seat. 
because um, their senator uh, resigned earlier in the year, uh, Tad Cochran. He resigned earlier this year because of health problems, and he'd been in Congress like 40 years. He'd been there forever. So the governor appointed this Cindy Hyde-Smith to occupy the seat until they held a special election and, you know, the people of Mississippi get to vote for a new one. Well, that special election happened, but if you don't reach 50%, then you have to have a runoff. Well, she didn't reach 50%. And Mike Espy, the Democrat, he, I think it was 40.9% to like 41%. It was really close. And then Chris McDaniel was another Republican. They have a jungle primary down there in Mississippi, so everybody can run. Um, and he took 15% of the vote. So that's why it was like 40, 41. <clears throat> so, that, so the runoff was scheduled for November 27th. I wasn't really paying attention to this until about, I don't know, a week and a half ago. And that's when the story started to pop up about this Cindy Hyde Smith. And she's got a little bit of a race problem, I'd say. So the video of her, which um, if you haven't seen it, Google it. She's speaking out at a little gathering, looked like in like some kind of public park somewhere. And there was a guy introducing her and she made a comment that said that she would follow him. She'd, no, she'd sit in the front row of a public, of a public hanging to go to with this guy. What? Basically saying that, you know, she was appreciative of him and she would follow him anywhere, even to the front row of a public hanging. Okay, that's a problem. Um, Most people know that lynching was a problem in this country, particularly in the South, particularly of black folks. It was used as a terrorist weapon against black people for decades in the South. Who the hell talks about public hangings? I don't care she didn't use the word lynching. We all know what the hell a public hanging is. Who, who uses those terms in 2018? Really, lady? Now, I'm not from the South. So a lot of those dynamics are foreign to me. They really are. But I have spent time in the South. I've been there. And no offense to my friends in the South, but the South scares me. And it's shit like that. There are people running around that still feel like this and say this publicly. And someone who is potentially going to be the next senator for the next six years in Mississippi. She's probably going to win. But there's more concerning this woman. The Jackson Free Press has done excellent work. So by the time this airs, she will probably know the results of the election and most likely she'll have won. Um, Mike Espy, her Democratic challenger, that name may sound familiar to some folks. He was the Secretary of Agriculture during the Clinton administration in the in the 90s. He also got into some trouble. He was indicted on several counts of corruption. He was eventually acquitted, but he also did some work for like, you know, some African dictators that were major human rights violators and stuff. You know, he's got his own ethical problems, Espy. And he's black, by the way. He was a, he was a congressman for, I think, six years in, uh, in Mississippi years ago, too. But uh, he would be the first black senator to ever represent Mississippi if he pulled off the win. Um, this is I'm recording this before the the election results are in, but I'm assuming Hyde Smith is going to win, regardless of some of the other very troubling things that have been uncovered by the Jackson Free Press down there in Mississippi about this woman. So we had the public lynching thing that's on video, folks. So there's no denying. And her response to it is also on video. Um, 
she was with the governor and she was challenged, obviously, because that video went viral. And she put out some weak statements saying that she regretted the terminology and, and she wouldn't say anything else. It was, uh, she did not handle it well. I don't really think she was that remorseful. I think she was remorseful. Somebody had a video, uh, you know, videoed it on their phone. She got caught. But then the Jackson Free Press did some more digging. They found a couple other things. There's a picture of her posing with Confederate soldier gear on, a cap and a rifle, standing next to some guy who is like a well-known to the Southern leader, uh, Poverty Leadership, uh, law, Southern Poverty Law Center, listed as like part of a racial organization it's like racist so that's no good so she's real proud of her confederate history down there in the south now a lot of people in the south are you know dixiecrats down there whistling dixie but this is 2018 some things are just not okay anymore not only that now we found out oh she joked about voter suppression not funny in this day and age especially in the south um we find out now that she attended something called a segregation academy back when she was in high school. Why does that matter? Why is that significant? Well, Brown versus Board of Education was the landmark Supreme Court case that basically said schools can no longer be segregated, that it was, a, it was unconstitutional to segregate schools. And we all saw the images in history of you know, National Guard having to escort little black girls to school and things like that because the people in the South were so resistant to integrate their schools, forced busing and all kinds of, I mean, there is a significant racial history with this. Mississippi did not integrate schools until the 1970s, despite Brown versus Board of Education coming down in 1954. So she went to a school that was considered a segregation academy. It was a private school that was there to try to circumvent the Brown versus Board of Education ruling. Not only did she attend that, and there's like yearbook pictures of her, so there's no questioning she went there. She's conveniently left that out of her bios, by the way, but it was dug up, easily enough, easily found. She also sent her daughter to a private school called Brookhaven Academy. Now, you can't have legal segregation anymore, but there's ways to, you know, kind of do this. I mean, Jerry Falwell did it. They do it under the guise of being religious institutions. So they get a little kind of different uh, standards. And then if you have like one or two black kids or, you know, minorities, then it's like, well, it's not segregated. But we're talking about a, 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 Mississippi has the highest concentration of African-Americans in the country. It's 37% black. And her daughter went to one of these schools too. So this kind of, um, racial history with this woman is pretty embedded there's other examples where she awarded a float that was like a confederate history float in 2016 in some parade as like the best float in in um you know award or whatever i mean it's problematic and it's been now all of these things have been coming out and to the point where companies like walmart have demanded that they that her campaign return their contribution Major League Baseball also wants the money back that they contributed to her campaign. You know, the, the, she's, and guess what? The president of the United States, Donald Trump, has decided that he's going to go and campaign for her. He did two rallies in Mississippi for her. You know, any other mainstream Republican would not go anywhere near this woman. But yet, but yet 
with I mean, with this history, with all of this stuff coming out and with her really piss poor response to it. And what is she going to say? Well, yeah, I'm proud of my racist history. I mean, you know, she tried to get something a Jefferson Davis thing sponsored. Jefferson Davis doesn't even have any relationship to that Mississippi district either. So other than him, you know, just, just look up the history of Jeff- Jefferson Davis. But no other mainstream Republican would go anywhere near this woman. And here the president of the United States went to not one, but two rallies because people are concerned. You know, demogra- there's some demographic shifts in Mississippi. And, you know, they're the Republican, the establishment down there in Mississippi is worried about another Alabama happening, like what happened last year with Roy Moore. I mean, she's not a child molester, but it's a problem. And I think it's only become national news recently because the midterms are over. And so we have, you know, something else to talk about. It's not being overshadowed, but it might be too late. It's probably too late to make a difference. But, you know, Trump going there and supporting her so openly like that, it just, again, it just emboldens these racists. It, it just does. It's just bad form. Stay out of it. He can't help himself. He can't help himself. You know, for all these people who tell us, those of us who think that the president's a racist and a bigot, stuff like this doesn't help your case, folks. Anyone who, if you have a problem with someone that is so still promoting, you know, pretty like the ugly racial history of the South, like this, like this Cindy Hyde Smith is, and the president of the United States seems to just does just dismisses that and says, oh, she's wonderful. I mean, no, no. So. Just another bad look. I'm not surprised. It's just another bitch. Just something else to add to the list. What else is going on? Oh, there's a Mueller update. Um, George Papadopoulos. Remember the coffee boy? Foreign policy guy? <laughs> he was a foreign policy advisor in 2016. But then when he got in trouble, all of a sudden Trump, well, Trump's people, no, he was just a coffee boy. He didn't have any real role in the campaign. Okay. Papadopoulos is part of the reason why the whole Russia investigation started because he was a wannabe and he was running his mouth in a London pub drunk trying to show off that he was part of the Trump campaign back in 2016 and he was blabbering his mouth to an Australian diplomat telling them that he had access to Russians who had dirt on Hillary Clinton and the Australian diplomat was like, whoa, that's not good. And he went back and said something to somebody and the word spread. That's basically how the the Russian collusion part of the campaign, Trump campaign stuff investigation started before Mueller. The FBI was already investigating this. And then we all know that the, the WikiLeaks stuff and the emails and what happened in 2016. But Papadopoulos when he was interviewed by the FBI, lied about what he knew, who he had been in contact with, with Russians. There was a professor that was recruiting him, basically. And Papadopoulos was, um, did, lied about how much interaction he had with these people and what information they gave him. He continually tried to set up meetings between Russian government officials and the Trump campaign. And he told people about this in the Trump campaign, including his supervisors. And he misrepresented when he did this and when, you know, and he, so he got caught lying and he got sentenced to, I think, 14 days in, in, in prison. Should have been longer, in my opinion. And then he became like, you know, he struck a plea deal. 
And he's now finally starting that, excuse me, starting that sentence. But then he started getting real arrogant, claiming that he would been set up and it was entrapment and that he regretted the the guilty plea and kind of antagonizing Robert Mueller. Not a good idea. Okay, (laughs) it's never a good idea to antagonize the federal prosecutor that has the power to do all kinds of things and investigate all kinds of things. Um, Just not a good idea. And so he's now in in prison. And somebody else, um, and it's not insignificant, his charging document and his plea agreement, it's public information. If you think that it's not a big deal, just go back and read it. You can read it. It's there. It's public information. The guy freaking lied about a lot of stuff. He had significant contact with people he knew were in contact with the Russian government. And he more than one time tried to coordinate with different people meetings between the Russian government and the Trump campaign. For what purpose? Sounds like collusion to me. But that's what Mueller is investigating. Jerome Corsi, another lackey weirdo. He is this conspiracy theorist guy who um, was also friends with Roger Stone, the dirty trickster. And Jerome Corsi is in the crosshairs of the of the Mueller investigation as well because of his role with Roger Stone and their interaction with WikiLeaks. There is a significant question about how much advance notice Roger Stone or others had about WikiLeaks access to the Hillary Clinton emails and the Podesta emails and when they were going to release them. The timing of that has always been super suspicious. I personally believe that Roger Stone was in fact in contact with Julian Assange and WikiLeaks. He knew, I mean, this is just, this is my gut feeling about this. I mean, we'll eventually find that out, I think, in the Mueller investigation when it's concluded. But that is a very significant piece of it. Because then that would be colluding. Because the Russians who hacked the emails used WikiLeaks to release them. That's a crime. And if Roger Stone knew, or Jerome Corsi, his buddy, they knew about this in advance and were bragging about it, that's a problem. That's collusion, isn't it? Or conspiracy. I, I mean... So Jerome Corsi, you know, I actually had interactions with this guy. When I worked in Capitol Hill um, and as, a, as a communications director and I was working on this border agent case um, for years, Jerome Corsi worked at the World Net Daily, which is pretty much now a conspiracy theory, theory site. They have some wacky shit on that site. And I was always reluctant to allow him to talk to the congressman. I never felt that he was a scrupulous, quote, journalist or reporter. So I was very controlled about what I would allow him to, to uh, the access I allowed him. And he had a very specific narrative that he wanted to write about this border agent case and not, it wasn't always factual. So I would have to correct him. Well, he took it upon himself to make up quotes and make things up to fit the narrative he wanted. And I called him out on it. I told him, this is not true. What you're attributing to the congressman isn't true. That's not what I told you. Retract it. And you will never get access to this office again. So I banned him from having any access to that congressman for the entire seven years that I worked there because he was a liar. And he also, some people may remember, they may not, but back in, I think it was 2009, 2008, he wrote a book about Barack Obama And he was one of the biggest 
purveyors of the birther conspiracy. He wrote a whole book about how Barack Obama wasn't born in the U.S. And he went over there to Kenya and got detained while he was over there trying to prove that Barack Obama was born in Kenya. It was ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. And it's reported that Donald Trump was palling around with Jerome Corsi in 2011. Why is that significant? Well, 2011 is when Donald Trump started pushing that whole birther conspiracy. Remember that? It was before the re-election. And he was running around saying that he was he had paid investigators to go to Hawaii and they were they, you know, they had proof that the proof coming that Barack Obama was not born there. We never saw that proof. It was all a bunch of bullshit. So Roger Stone claims that that Trump started palling around with Jerome Corsi in 2011, which would make sense considering that that his area of quote expertise was this ridiculous birther conspiracy against um, President Obama. And then Donald Trump picked that up. True or not? Not sure. But Jerome Corsi may be the next one that's getting indicted. There was reports that he was working on a plea agreement. Then he said no, because he also apparently perjured himself about what he knew and when concerning the WikiLeaks stuff. You know, these people, man. So you don't mess with the feds. Don't lie. Like you... I don't know. But keep keep paying attention to that because it's still an emerging story and there I'm sure there's more chips to fall. Another big story going on, um, this caravan and immigration. Over the weekend, I'm sure you saw the images that were quite disturbing of migrant women and children running from tear gas at the border. Now of course, my first reaction to this was, uh, what, what are we doing here? We know that immigration, the border, the caravan, sending troops to the border and all this is all part of Donald Trump's bag of very ugly tricks. He really demagogues the issue of immigration. Now, there are some merit to some of the complaints that Donald Trump has brought up about our broken immigration system. There are. But the way he goes about it is what is so troubling for me. And I'm really an illegal immigration hawk. I worked on this issue directly for seven years in Capitol Hill. I saw how broken the system is. I saw how people take advantage of it. I have also seen how people have taken advantage of our asylum system. We have the most generous, 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 I can't even talk today immigration system in the world. We allow a million legal immigrants into this country every year, roughly. We have guest worker programs. We have lotteries. We have different, like something like 80 plus different kinds of visas. We allow chain migration. We allow families to come in. I mean, we really are pretty generous with our system. And it's also really broken, as we've seen. But instead of really making a conscious effort to try to fix this, Donald Trump has just continued to demagogue it. And what we saw with the run-up to the elections, with the, with the caravan, this invasion, and all this going on, and sending troops to the border, which was really just a political stunt. It's gotten worse, okay? And what happened over the weekend, it culminated with now people rushing the border, rush, rushing the port, legal port of entry near Tijuana, Mexico. I believe that's the San Isidro port of entry, if I'm correct down there in, in California. Now, remember, Trump sent the troops to, to Texas, 
because that's initially where the caravan was going. And then word got out that there were troops in Texas. So they moved to California where there weren't troops deployed, putting up a concertina wire. <laughs> the whole thing was so stupid. But anyway, so I don't know whose brilliant idea it was to coordinate this caravan like this, because obviously it was coordinated. To, at the timing of it's suspicious to me. I don't know if they thought that, what did they think that Trump wasn't going to use this as a campaign issue? I don't know. But now you have these people they are closer now and are they all asylum seekers? No, they're not. Okay. Our asylum system has been really, really abused in the last eight years probably more so since 2014 or so because word got out under the Obama administration how to use the threat of what they call credible fear to as an asylum claim that that will get you into the country and while you wait you're granted like temporary asylum status and then you you can wait for years before you get an actual hearing in the meantime, you've established a life here. Maybe you had a couple kids here. They're, they're legal American citizens if you have a you know child here. And it becomes a lot more complicated to leave. So not everyone. Are there things going on in El Salvador and, and Honduras, uh, Guatemala, that are awful with the gangs and violence? Yes. But not all these folks who are coming over are coming over because the gangs are threatening to kill them or, you know, their lives are in imminent danger. They want to come here to have a better life. They can find work here. They can live better. I mean, who doesn't want to come to the United States? That's why you hear the term economic migrants. Listen, I have, com- I have compassion for people who are desperate to come here for a better life. My own father's side of my family escaped the revolution in Guatemala to come here in the 50s. They were legitimate asylum seekers or could have been. I don't know the whole history there, but they, you know, I I get it. But we cannot have people bum rushing the border without consequence. I'm not saying there should be orders to shoot to kill. That's ridiculous. Okay. Trump administration was trying to do, which is unconstitutional, by the way. And that was a area of contention between John Kelly, chief of staff, who was a Marine general and the secretary of Homeland Security, Kirsten Nielsen. They're like, uh, yeah, this is a problem. Our military, that's not what they're supposed to do. Posse comitatus is something that restricts our military from domestic law enforcement. So it was a problem. But just the fact the Trump administration wouldn't even attempt this. It's a problem. But what happened on Sunday with the tear gas? Look, look, I understand it. I don't want, but I don't want, I mean, I don't want to see little kids and women being tear gassed either, but you cannot, we have to defend our border. And when you have people throwing rocks across the border at our border agents and try to run and rush and, and knock down barriers to our border, I'm sorry. You, that's a non-lethal use of force to stop it. Don't, you can't do this. And I, I, there's got to, you know, the the president there, he had all the Republicans have had control of all the government 
for two years and they still couldn't get anything done. The attempt to try to overhaul our immigration system has failed for the last 30 years since the last amnesty in the 80s under Reagan. People, the truth is that the, the, the employers, the economic magnets that draw people here, that is really what we have got to fix. Internal enforcement was dramatically reduced under President Obama. So it allowed employers to get away with it. And if you don't punish them, if you take away the jobs, people aren't going to come here in droves. It's also we've got to do things to secure our border. We have to. We also need to figure out what to do with the people who are already here. I mean, it's complicated. But what's happening now, this is unsustainable. And I, I don't want to see it. I mean, it's, it's, it, there's been back and forth about what deals had been struck. Apparently, there was tr- that we'd been working, our government has been working with Mexico to find a diplomatic solution. Because what we've seen going on, family separations, all this is terrible. This is not the way to do it. It's not good policy at all. And they had something, they struck a deal, allegedly, called Remain in Mexico. Mexico just had an election not too long ago. They have a new incoming government coming in. Now, um, at first, this deal, this alleged deal that they'd struck to keep the asylum seekers who were legitimately seeking asylum, because there are some who are, there's a whole bunch that aren't, to keep them in Mexico while the asylum process is um, conducted, as opposed to them coming here and then disappearing. Um, now there's some reports that the Mexican officials are saying, well, no, an official deal hasn't actually been struck. It's in principle only, and they're starting to implement it, but it's not official. Okay, well, whatever. But this Remain in Mexico deal, basically, there's business leaders in, let's say, Tijuana. That's where the this incident happened on Sunday. They said, hey, look, we have job openings here. We're willing to let these folks stay. You know, if they if they have fear in their own countries, we'll give them asylum here in Mexico and we can give them jobs. They can work in our assembly plants. We have openings. We'll give them a, what like the Mexican version of a social security card. So they have like official identification and they can stay. We can use them. They can work. Now, they don't pay as much money as the U.S., but it's better than if you're if you feel for fear for your life, then sound like a pretty decent deal. And it's reported that there's over 100,000 job openings across Mexico that are currently being offered to these migrants that have come there. So if it's really about credible fear, then why do you have to come to the U.S.? Mexico is, is, offer, is being awfully generous, too. Uh, you know, it's a, if that's really what it's about. And if it's just about economic you know, desires, well, we can't let everybody in here. But we need, I'm, I'm a big supporter of guest worker programs. Our agriculture industry needs them. Uh, you know, our farmers, our dairy farmers, our, you know, growers, our, our meat packing plants. These are jobs that Americans don't want to do for the pay that they're offering. So let's have guest worker programs. Let the folks come in. The employer sponsors them for a certain amount of time, whatever seasonal work they need. And there's different kinds. We have some guest worker programs now, but there's not enough. We need more. And then they go back home. And it's only if they're sponsored by someone or their employer guarantees a certain amount of work, then then you can sponsor your family to come over here if you want. But we've got to figure this out because the way it is, it's not good for anyone. It's inhumane. 
And that's another issue. The way that the Trump administration is framing this, it's dehumanizing to these people. And that's not right either. You know, these are these are just people looking for a better life, most of them. And yeah, there are some bad apples. And we need to weed those out. But they go through, like I said, they claim this credible fear standard. And they have immigration um, judges and monitors that they process this. They do an initial screening. And usually like 80% of people who claim uh, credible fear, they'll pass the initial screening. And then they're in a holding pattern, which could be up to years because of the backlog. I mean, there's 750,000 cases pending right now in immigration court. It could take years and people know this, but when they get to court, only about 10% of those cases are actually granted asylum. So since 2014, there's been a quadrupling of asylum claims and a lot of them are spurious because the people know what to say. They've been coached on what to say. They're like, we'll just say this, we'll get in a couple years go by. We've already established our life. It's a lot more difficult to get kicked out. I'm sorry if people don't want to hear that, but that's the truth. I dealt with this issue for years in Capitol Hill. I'm familiar with it. This is the other side. Same thing with the Border Patrol and and deploying tear gas. Listen, I know Border Patrol agents. I work with the Border Patrol for years. They are some of the best there, there is out there. Those guys have an unbelievably difficult job to do, and they're heroes. There's, of course, there's always bad apples in every bunch, but these guys are heroes with what they deal with every day. And they've been put in an, untenable, in an untenable situation with what's happening now. And people throwing rocks has been an issue. And I saw the video. It was post, There's videos posted all over the internet of what happened on Sunday. People throwing rocks and things across the border. You can't have that. So, you know, there are two sides to this issue. And I wish that we had a more responsible president and more responsible leaders to talk about this because it's an important one. You know, it's a human rights issue. It's a border security issue. It's a sovereign, sovereign nation issue. But I hope that Mexico does this remain in Mexico um, program that would alleviate a lot of these problems for us. Let's hope that those talks continue in good faith. But I frankly don't think the president wants to solve this problem. He doesn't really want this problem solved because then he doesn't have a foil. He doesn't have an enemy. You know, he likes to get people riled up with immigration. And I just don't like the attitudes. It's very xenophobic. You know, all immigrants aren't bad. They're not all rapists. It's ridiculous. You know, and some are good people. I mean, come on. The way it's framed, it's no good. This is a country of immigrants. We are a melting pot. But we're also a nation of laws. And there should be a responsible way to fix this. Because the way it's going, it's unsustainable. It really is. Now, Mexico's already deported, I think, 11,000 people since October. So, you know, maybe there's some carrot and stick things going on here. I mean, just closing the border, which Trump did temporarily on Sunday in San Isidro. You can't do that either. I mean, we have commerce that goes on between Mexico and the U.S. I mean, there is a thriving transactional relationship between our countries. I mean, Mexico's our number one trading partner. We have to have the borders open because of commerce back and forth every day along our 2,000 mile border. So closing the borders like this, that's not an answer either. It creates chaos, absolute chaos. 
And um, so looks like they're sending more asylum officers down to San Isidro to try to process the people who are legitimately trying to claim asylum. A court already said, look, Trump tried to say, look, we're not going to allow anyone. If you don't come to a port of entry, you can't claim asylum. Well, that's unconstitutional. You can't do that unless Congress changes the law and says that says something different. They can't do that. They have to process the asylum. People have the right to claim asylum. It's also international law. Um, normally, 60 to 100 asylum cases are processed daily. That's just at San Isidro. So we're, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. But something's got to change. Can't stay, can't stay the way it is. It just, it, it just can't. Now, people can't go bum rushing the border. But we also you know, need to find a more humane way to do this so with the holidays just around the corner now is the time to order holiday cards for your family and friends this year create custom holiday photo cards quickly easily and affordably at simply to impress.com simply to impress.com is your holiday photo card headquarters with thousands of unique christmas cards and other designs to choose from all you do is upload your family photos or get them from facebook or instagram personalize the text and you're done. It's that easy. Simplytoimpress.com prints your cards professionally on your choice of premium cardstock in just a few days and rushes them straight to your door. The New York Times Wirecutter named Simply to Impress their favorite custom photo card service. Simply to Impress even offers foil cards and hundreds of great holiday card designs for your business also. Place your order today to save 30% and get free shipping. Just enter promo code DEAL at checkout. Save big on holiday photo cards today using promo code DEAL at simplytoimpress.com. That's simplytoimpress.com. So since I've been talking about what's going on uh, at the border with the caravan, I have a special guest this week. He is the president of the National Border Patrol Council. His name is Brandon Judd, and he joins me now to discuss what's going on because I just feel it's so important to bring balance to the conversation. So Brandon Judd joins me on Honestly Speaking with Tara. All right. Well, I am pleased to be able to welcome Brandon Judd to Honestly Speaking with Tara. He is the president of the National Border Patrol Council and a 20-year veteran of the Border Patrol. And I thought it was really important to have someone who has been on the front lines who represents the people who are on the front lines, come on and talk about what's been going on with this caravan and really just talk about what the realities are for our Border Patrol agents defending the border. So, Brandon, thank you so much for for joining me. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. So everyone has seen the awful pictures of women and children um, facing tear gas that was deployed by the Border Patrol over the weekend at the border down between California and Mexico. Can you talk a little bit about why that happened and why was it really necessary? Because seeing those images, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking, of course. But, you know, I try to explain to people that law enforcement doesn't do things like that frivolously. There had to be a reason. Yeah, there there was, and there was a there was a very good reason. Um, but let me take you back to uh, to 2013 at the same port of entry, um, the San Ysidro port of entry, when when a group of of about a hundred tried to rush the the port of entry, and um, 
uh, the same types of action were taken. Tear gas was deployed in that case as well, um, in which there were women and children in that group as well. And that was under the Obama administration. What you have to understand is when, when we're put into a dangerous situation, what we have to do is we have to disperse the crowd. And we don't do that just for our own protection. We do that for the protection of, of bystanders. We also do it for the protection of the actual um, group that is rushing the port of entry. Now, in this particular case, um, yesterday, they weren't just rushing the border. Um, they, they, they started going towards the port of entry, and then they broke off from the port of entry and went to the border and tried to cross the border illegally. Um, the... The so hold on, let me, let, me, let me stop you really yep. quite, quite quick. So I think that's important for people to understand two important points. One, this has actually happened before under the Obama administration where the Border Patrol did in fact deploy tear gas to disperse the crowd. I don't think a lot of people know that. I don't think that's been reported widely on uh, you know, in the news. So that's important to know. So it wasn't some kind of Gestapo tactic that the Trump administration decided to deploy. Number two, no. um, the idea that there were two separate groups, because I saw reports on that, that they started off, they're claiming as a peaceful protest, and then a group broke off, and they tried to um, jump, there's a, like a series of barricades, is my understanding, and they're kind of dilapidated. So they were able to get past one, they tried to attempt to get past another, and then that's when Border Patrol intervened as well, right? That is that is correct. And and, and the other thing that you have to understand is that as, as the conflict escalated, the the males in the group, uh, and, and you're talking, you're talking. It was estimated that, that the majority of the males in that group were between, were between the ages of 20 and um, mid 30s. They they are the ones who pushed the women and children up to the front, mm. and from behind them, they started throwing projectiles at our agents. They were throwing rocks. Uh, they were throwing uh, chips of concrete. They were throwing bottles. And our agents, um, a few of our agents, at least four, um, were struck by these projectiles. Um, they were ordered to disperse. Every every effort was taken to try to get this caravan to just uh, this group, uh, part of the caravan. Right. Every every um, effort was taken to try to get this uh, these individuals to disperse. They would not. They they absolutely 100% gave us no choice but to deploy the the tear gas tear gas in order to disperse them now it's also important that you understand that this tear gas has been has been um certified as being safe for all ages of right. people it's a non-lethal um, it's it's a non-lethal it, it form because and and it i, I mean and is i know some people are listening to this going we don't care that it was children you know this is horrible this is inhumane and i just think it's important that people understand it's a non-lethal use of force it's uncomfortable and no we don't like to see those images but there's another side to it and why it was necessary so go ahead well, and th and think think about what would have continued to happen as this continued to escalate with women and children up front. Again, we did not take this action for the safety of our agents alone. We took this action for the safety of all the people um, that were rushing the border. We we have to make sure that this is an orderly process. Um, and for people to say, well, you shouldn't have taken that action. I would ask them, what would you have us do? Right. Um, Short you know, of letting they, everybody they, in in a stampede, which we can't do. And, We're a sovereign country with laws. Um, which I, right. then even becomes even more dangerous right. if, it's a, if, it's, if it's a stampede over the fence. Um, you know, I have seen 
what your listeners need to understand is that these are the tactics that people use all the time. I have been in the desert in which I, I've been chasing groups of people that cross the border illegally. And when I approach them, what they'll do is they will literally leave children behind um, as they try to escape, knowing that I will then have to take these children into custody and you know, and, and I just pray that we end up finding the children that they leave behind, but they, but they use them as human shields all the time. Yep. These are not – look, there are a lot of people in this caravan that I'm sure are good people. We're not saying that every single one of them are bad, but there are a lot of people that cross the border illegally, that have other people cross the border illegally, that are very bad elements. They leave people in the desert to die all the time. Yes. That's why we have so many deaths in the desert. And so when you look at when you look at the force that was taken, when you look at what we did, it was it was very humane, um, and it was done in a manner to minimize uh, the, the discomfort of all the people that were there, but in an effort to disperse the group. And, you know, I think that's just tough. It's tough love for people to hear this. You know, it's difficult because a lot of folks are not out on the border patrolling. They don't really understand uh, some of the nuances that go along with this, which is why it's important. I I felt it was so important to have someone like you who could explain it. Now, of course, not everyone's going to agree, uh, but at the same time, um, I just feel it's important to hear the other side. You know, I talk all the time about how the inhum- inhumanities of the coyotes and of people who are being smuggled in these operations into into the United States as another reason why we need to have comprehensive immigration reform on a number of levels because it's so it, it, the, the way that the people are these people are treated like you said they're left behind to die once they pay them they don't care what happens to them women are often raped young women it's horrible and we don't hear enough of that because unfortunately the president of the United States has demagogued the issue. And I'm not going to ask you to comment on that because I, I know you're on his transition team and you're trying to you know, represent the border patrol. I just don't agree with the way the president is framing it, but it, it takes us away from being able to talk honestly about the uglier side of this too and why it's so necessary that we really have secure borders and change some of these laws. And, and you brought up a very good point when you said that not everybody is going to agree. I don't expect everybody to agree. What I would like is I would like people to be armed with the facts when they make their opinions sure. instead of rhetoric. Me too. <laughs> um, and and as, long as, as long as people understand exactly what's going on and then you want to vilify us, that's up to you. And, and, and frankly, I will, I will respect that opinion. But please get all of the facts, understand what's taking place, understand why we're doing what we're doing, and then um, form your opinion. And, and we can have that discussion. Right. But to, to, to make us out to be Nazis, to make us out to be the Gestapo, when in reality what we're doing is we're enforcing the laws that both the Democrats and Republicans gave us – to enforce our policies were all of these policies, these, these tear gas policies, they were written under the Obama administration. They were written um, by Obama political appointees. Um, so to, to then vilify us for doing what Democrat political appointees gave us, mm-hmm. you know, it's just frankly, it's just wrong. And, and, and I believe that just shows a bias that you're absolutely against no matter what the facts are, you're just going to be against us to be against us. And, and, and if that's the case, we're never going to solve this problem. Right. 
And, you know, when you have a large contingent of people on the Democrat side running on abolishing ICE, um, you know, those are extreme positions because that's that's just not realistic. And um, I you know, we don't want to undermine law enforcement in this country. And then you have lawlessness and we don't want to reward that. The, I just wanted to ask you before I let you go a little bit about catch and release. Because this is something that has been part of the asylum discussion, that part of the abuse of our asylum system uh, has been because people know, well, I can claim credible fear, then I'll get a like a provisional asylum kind of where the backlog is so long. By the time I get to a judge, it's been years have gone by because they catch me and they release me, whether it's asylum seekers or if it's... um, you know, other circumstances. And how has that catch and release policy changed in this administration compared to administrations in the past? It, it hasn't changed at all, in fact. Um, what, what your listeners need to understand is it is lawful for us to hold individuals that cross the border illegally. It's lawful for us to hold them in custody pending either a deportation proceeding or an asylum proceeding. The problem is, is if we do not have the space to hold these individuals in custody um, before they see a judge, then we have to release them. And we, re- we release them on what's called their own recognizance or with a promise that they will show up to their court dates um, later on down the road. The problem is, is that the vast majority, and it's about 80%, never show up to their court dates. And they, then a warrant's issued for their arrest, and then they do what, what Obama coined, disappear into the shadows of society. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if people were actually showing up to their court dates, um, if they weren't here to game the system, and we call it gaming the system, if they weren't here to game the system, they would show up to their court dates. They would provide the evidence that they do, in fact, warrant asylum. But the vast majority know that they don't warrant asylum, so they come here, they, they claim what we call a credible fear, they, mm-hmm. they tell us something, but there's no evidence that is required at this point in the process. Right, the initial where screening. The evidence is, Exactly. The evidence is required when you go see a judge, and that's the process that they skip out on. That's the process that they don't show up for. Um, And so it becomes a mockery of our immigration system, and it's why this debate has raged um, on and on. The fact of the matter is... Well, just let me, push, let, me, were, let me play devil's advocate on that for a quick second, because uh-huh. there are some people who say, well, that's just, that's that's not really true, that people do show up for their asylum hearings. And what I have found is the people who show up are the ones that have immigration attorneys, that have representation. They do come back. And that's the statistic that people aren't using when they have this argument to, to, to say, well, no, that's not true. People, of course, they they show up. Ninety percent of them show up. Those are the ones with lawyers. Am I wrong about that? No, you're, you're, you're not wrong. That's the there. There again, there's about 20 percent. Look, we have the statistics because warrants. Um, arrest warrants are then issued for those people that don't show up. And again, 80% of the people that mm-hmm. cross the border illegally and claim asylum do not show up for their asylum hearings. Yep. They don't show up, and therefore a warrant gets issued for their arrest. The 20% that do show up, yes, they do have lawyers, and they do have – I'm not going to go on and say that they have a legitimate claim, but they do have a claim, and they're able to make a case. Now, right. whether or and not – And only about 10% of those get granted from the last exactly, statistic I saw. Exactly, and that's, and that's the law. So, so again, if people were showing up to their court dates and their appearances, nobody would have a problem with catch and release. There wouldn't be an issue. The reason why there's an issue is because they don't show up 
warrants of arrest do end up getting issued, but we can't find them because, again, they have, quote unquote, disappeared into the shadows of society. Mm-hmm. Well, I, um, I my last question is um, it's just back to a policy that I think it's going to come up again. And um, there's been some discrepancy about what the Border Patrol's actual policy is when it comes to using lethal force and rock throwing. Um, this has come up in the past. And since that was part what precipitated the tear gas um, deployment on Sunday, what exactly Because I know that there's some discrepancy about whether it is a, it is appropriate on the continuum, the use of force continuum to use deadly force when it comes to rock throwing. There has been international law about this. There has been case law about this. And I know that there was some discrepancy in the Border Patrol about whether it was an official policy or not. So can you settle that for, for my listeners now? Oh, what is the policy? <laughs> so, the, the policy is, is if a reasonable person fears um, um, death or serious bodily injury, they are authorized to use lethal, lethal force. Now, People that say that a rock can't hurt you, I can show you pictures after pictures after pictures of agents that have been life flighted to the hospital um, because they have been struck by rocks. I've got, I've got pictures that I've shown to the media many times of blood completely and totally strewn through a Border Patrol vehicle of an agent that was struck in the head by a rock that had to be life flighted to, to the hospital. Rocks absolutely 100% can cause death or Serious bodily injury, um, serious bodily injury, and that is the standard mm-hmm. um, that has to be shown in order to utilize deadly force. Now, just so that your listeners understand, that's the standard I believe for every single law enforcement agency in the entire nation. It's not just the Border Patrol; mm-hmm. it's the entire nation. It's what a reasonable person would be believed to could cause um, death or serious bodily injury. And rocks can do that. And when that deadly force policy has been misused or misapplied, there has been disciplinary action against Border Patrol agents for that, correct? Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Now, now because, of, uh, because of laws, I can't give you specific examples, but I can 100% tell you that when a Border Patrol agent does, does not use the appropriate amount of force, they are, in fact, held accountable. They are, in fact, disciplined. Um, and that does happen. And, and, and frankly, it needs to happen. Law enforcement must be held to a higher standard than, than other individuals because we're the ones that are charged with enforcing the laws. Um, and so we take that very, very, very seriously. And when somebody does something wrong, there needs to be accountability on our side. We believe in enforcing the laws, not just on other people, but on ourselves as well. And uh, as someone who advocated for Border Patrol agents when I worked on Capitol Hill, um, I completely understand that. And I think it's so important that also that our Border Patrol agents aren't used as political pawns either as in, and are, aren't prosecuted uh, overzealously by, by prosecutors who I felt had a political agenda, like what happened to Border Agents Ramos and Compion, who I helped yep. um, with 
get their sentences commuted. They were sentenced to 11 uh-huh. and 12 years in federal prison unjustly. Yep. And um, we're working really hard on a pardon. So I know that you are close to President Trump. <laughs> I would hope that next time you talk to him, please ask <laughs> him to pardon Robinson Compion and border agent Gary Brugman, who was one of the first that was prosecuted unfairly for pushing an illegal down with his foot who was non-compliant and he spent 27 months in prison for it. It was awful. So don't tell him I said it because, you know, I, I'm a Trump critic and I, I want to mess don't, it up. Don't. <laughs> but if you do, you know, please, look, look, for the, Christmas. The fact, the, <laughs> the fact remains, you have to call, regardless of whether or not I supported um, President Trump in 2016, I still have to be honest and call and, and call out when something is not going right. Look, I love my wife, but I don't always agree with my wife. Sure. Um, and and I, have to, I, I have to have those discussions. Those discussions have to be had at every level. Um, just because I absolutely 100% believe that President – well, not believe. I know that President Trump is better for um, border security than Hillary Clinton and, frankly, better than any – current that, that, that I'm hearing, Democrat, um, that could be making a run, um, doesn't mean that every single thing that he does is 100% correct. And those conversations have to be had. None of us are 100% right. Um, but for from a border security standpoint, he is what absolutely, there's no question that he is the best president in my career. Well, I, um, I have some... I do agree with some of what the the concepts of what Trump is trying to implement, which are things that I think were common sense reforms that needed to happen, needed to happen. I just don't agree with the way he goes about it and that he demagogues it. So it's tough because it's like, yeah, you know, I hear what you're saying. And yeah, our Border Patrol agents, I mean, it's a force of 18,000 plus people um, needed support. What happened under Obama was very um, taxing on our Border Patrol and our ICE agents and demoralizing. So, you know, I see both sides. Of it. It's just the way he goes about it just makes it really hard for me to say, like, well, I'm okay with this. It's like, no, this is a serious issue. We really need to, like, figure out a way to, to fix this. I just wish he would do it in a different way. But I've held you long enough. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much. And, you know, like I said, please remember age, former agents Gary Brugman and Ramos and Compion when you talk to President Trump. They, they so, so, so deserve a pardon and um, to make their lives whole again. They've paid their dues to society and um enough is enough so and and thank you i i will they're 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 on my list trust me i appreciate it and thank you to all of our border patrol agents who serve honorably on the, and that thin green line there on the border um they're unsung heroes that a lot of us don't realize what they do for us not only on the southern border but the northern border too so brandon judd national border patrol council president 20-year veteran of border patrol thank you for joining me on honestly speaking with tara let's talk again thank you very much Bye-bye. you're welcome That's it for this edition of Honestly Speaking with Tara. Please, please, please reach out to me on social media uh, at Tara Setmayer on Twitter at Honestly underscore Tara on Instagram at the Tara Setmayer and of course on Facebook. I love to hear from you guys. So be sure to tweet at me. Let me know what you liked or disliked about this week's episode. I was really happy that we had a chance to get Brandon Judd on to talk the other side of the issue. You know, immigration is an emotional issue and what we see and we react so viscerally to to videos and, and photos of what's going on. We need to have balance in this conversation. It's really complicated. So hope you enjoyed this week's episode and stay tuned for next week's episode of Honestly Speaking with Tara. 